Well, today I want to talk to you about, in our series on dollars and cents, I want to talk to you about you can build a savings for the future. Would you say that with me? You can build a savings for the future. As a matter of fact, let's change that now. And you say, I can. I can build a savings for the future. It's amazing how many people tell me they can't save money. And yet I meet people who live in poverty circumstances. I meet people who are, I've met people who were sharecroppers, which is a very challenging and difficult way to live. I've met others who started with very little and they built a savings and they were not only able to take care of their family in the future, they were able to also bless the kingdom of heaven as well. And I haven't wanted this series to be a Dave Ramsey series as much as I admire Dave. I haven't wanted it to be a Larry Burkett series, who Larry was a friend of mine. And, and one of the greatest joys was Larry inviting me to spend a weekend at his home in North Georgia. And we went over all sorts of things about financial planning and financial counseling. If you've never listened to the Bonson Report, I would recommend the Bonson Report if you're into investing at all, David Bonson's financial report. David is a passionate follower of Jesus and well-respected in his field and um, uh, not only here in America but around the world. So I would, I would recommend that. But I've not wanted this series to be a Dave Ramsey series. I've wanted us to look at finances from what I think is a deeper perspective, and that's how you and I can be what God has called us to be and what Jesus talked about so much. We can be good stewards. Let's say that together. Good stewards. Say it again. Good stewards. We have been entrusted to manage for God and to manage for purpose, not just to manage to build up wealth to have a lot of money, I remember, I can't remember who it was, but I remember the Pope one time was with one of his advisors, and the Pope was counting all of this gold, getting this, 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 this financial report, and the Pope said to his advisor, he said, and this is a true story, said to his advisor, he says, the church can no longer say, silver and gold, I have none. And his advisor looked at him and says, Yes, Your Holiness, but the church can no longer say in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk either. We never want our trust to be in riches. We never want our trust to be in real estate or money or houses. We are stewards. We want the power and the grace of God to be upon us. Can you say amen to that? We want the abundant grace of God. The, we want the, the, the overwhelming grace of God to be upon us. And a part of that key to overwhelming grace is living generous lives. What surprises most young adults, and this was according to the USA Today, what surprises most young adults when they begin their own homes, when they begin their own houses, are four things. The high cost of living, the difficulty saving money, that was second on the list, the number of financial decisions they have to make, and the difficulty of paying all their bills on time. How difficult it was to meet the challenges of paying the mortgage, the rent, the car payment, the school bill loans, and all of that. But there was another looming issue there, according to USA Today, and that was the difficulty that young people were finding and are having in finding jobs. The Bible says, and we referred to this early on in Luke chapter 16 and verse 11, if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true 
riches of heaven. Read that verse out loud with me. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? You see, the true riches of heaven is what we want. Godly relationships, good marriages, healthy children that become passionate followers of Christ themselves. We want the fruit of the Spirit abounding in our lives of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and self-control. We want the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We want the knowledge, the wisdom, the miracles. We want to see God move with the true riches of heaven in our lives. And one of the ways that God tests us is he tests us with money because finances, finances are issues of your heart. Finances are issues of my heart. They're issues of every person's heart in here. It's why Jesus said in Luke chapter 12 and verse 34, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. If you'll put that up on the screen for me. Let's read that verse together as well. Wherever your treasure is, there the desire of your heart will also be. So in other words, if you look at that carefully this morning, finances are an issue of our heart, and God uses finances to test us to see how we respond. Remember the true riches? There are many people that will sacrifice the true riches of heaven, Christians included, because they want more wealth. When I preach about stewardship, my goal is for you to grow rich in the Spirit, grow rich in grace, grow rich in the love and the peace and the joy of the Holy Spirit, and to become a more trustworthy steward of the resources that God allows into your life. The challenge, if we're not careful when it comes to stewardship, is this, and listen carefully, it's the reason Jesus used a word that came from Syrian mythology, mammon, about the God of money. It's the reason Jesus used that Syrian word to say, you can't serve God in mammon as well. Jesus was not saying money was a God. Jesus was saying, if you're not careful, you will allow it to be an idol or become a God in your life. Sometimes I struggle just a little bit with this. I struggled because as a young Christian, I came from a background. My father was very frugal, but my father was very generous, very generous to the work of the Lord. I've been in Kenya, for instance, where my father helped build water projects that brought clean water to people that were suffering. I had person after person when my father came, died and went to heaven, people that came up to me and told me how my father had blessed them, but he was very frugal. And although our genetic testing disagrees with my father, he says we're Scotch-Irish. When I was in Scotland, they said we were English. My daddy says all the Scots are wrong. He knows what he's talking about. We're Scotch-Irish. My point in telling you that is he adopted that Scotch-Irish of frugality but generosity. But I've often wondered like Tebby. I had never watched Fiddler on the Roof until one night Becky said, you've never watched that. We have to watch Fiddler on the Roof. And there's a line that Tebby says in there that I've thought about a lot of times, sweetheart. It's this. Would it spoil some vast eternal plan if I were a wealthy man? Let that sink in. Would it spoil some vast eternal plan if I were a wealthy man? My answer to that is no. 
Because God tested Abraham, and, God res- and Abraham responded to the test correctly, and God entrusted him as a steward. God tested his sons. God entrusted them. God tested David. David was trusted. God tested someone like Solomon, and though Solomon was the richest, the wisest man, and even ate, now imagine this, even ate off of plates of gold and drank out of cups of silver, Solomon's heart went astray, and what he left was a son whose heart was divided, who spoiled and divided the kingdom of Israel and all the wars that followed. It's the reason I say to you the true riches of heaven are so important. If we get this test right, then God can cause abounding grace to rest upon us all. Can you say amen to that? Would you stand with me and let's pray together. Father, I love you so much, and I love this congregation. I love those, Lord, that are watching online. I thank you for so many that have communicated and contacted us, and let us pray and agree with them as well. But I'm asking you now that, Father, you would search our hearts. First of all, Lord, give us the conviction we can be good stewards and we can save for the future. Secondly, Lord, remind us that we are stewards of all that you trusted to us. And thirdly, O oh Lord, I pray that we will use that that we save wisely for the glory and the honor of God. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Last week, we talked about dollars and cents giving. Next week, we're going to talk about what the Bible says about spending. And then we're going to wrap this series up, and uh, we're going to get ready for our Daniel plan that starts in just a few weeks. And we want you now to begin to get ready. And if you'd like, to get, if you'd like for the church to, to, to order a copy of that book for you, just let us know uh, on the communication card this morning. But the Daniel plan is all about faith. It's all about focus, fitness, food, and friends, and those five foundational principles that God calls us to live upon that helps us then to follow upon this message. Now, I don't want the motivating factor to be this. You're going to be healthier. As we enter into our 40-day fast during the season of Lent, I want it to be that we get to know God better. I want it to get to be that we build better relationships But I can tell you something to someone that's already started practicing for only two weeks. I've lost eight pounds, and I feel great. I think you're going to like, and if you've, some of you have told me you've already started on the Daniel plan, and get ready for that series as well. Well, if we talked about giving last week, we talked about spending next week, and what the Bible says about spending. What does the Bible say about saving? And that's, whenever we come up with a question at Woodland, that's what we do. What does the Bible say? Well, the first thing the Bible tells us is we should keep good records. This is called accounting, keeping good records. Accounting is more like taking a financial picture. It's like taking a selfie of yourself financially. You're looking at your, the picture of your debt. You're looking at the picture of how much you want to save, how much you can save, how much debt you have, how much you're giving. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 23 says, Know your sheep by name. Carefully attend to your flocks. Don't take them for granted. Possessions don't last forever, you know. 
And I think if today Jesus was preaching and teaching, he would say, not know your sheep by name. He'd say, know your stocks by name. He'd say, know your debts by name. Know the picture of your finances. The book of Proverbs also says money can disappear quickly. It can disappear fast. I've heard people tell me before, money talks. And I've said the same thing to people Money doesn't talk. If anybody tells you money talks, they really don't understand money. Money slips away quietly in the night when we're not paying attention to it. And so that's something we all need to remember. It's why the Bible says, keep a good, clear financial picture. In Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 23, the scripture says, get the truth, never sell it. Also, get wisdom, discipline, and good judgment. I mean, this is what you would teach your children. This is what God is teaching us. Let's read this verse out loud together. Get the truth, never sell it. Also get wisdom, discipline, and good judgment. Do you know what the antidote to worry is? The antidote to worry is knowing the truth. Well, you know the truth of God, and you do the truth of God, it will set you free. You will live with faith, and you will live with peace. You will not live with fear and pressure. How many of you would like to live financially with faith and peace? Could I see your hand this morning? Of course. How many of you are tired of living with fear and pressure? Yes. And you see, this is what God says happens in our life when we're willing to get the truth and never, never ever sell it. You know, we look at what I own, what I owe, and what I earn. What I own, what I owe, what I earn. You might want to write that in the side of your outline this morning. And so I would say, number one, get a financial picture. Number two, according to the scripture, is tell your dollars where you want them to go. Tell your money where you want it to go. That's called budgeting. Instead of letting your bills tell you where your money should go, instead of letting your, and, and I don't want to tread on anybody's toes, instead of letting your teenagers tell you where you want your money to go. <laughs> You know, I said one time after when I was talking to a group of parents when I was a youth pastor, I said, listen, I know you don't have any money. And they all looked at me and they were nodding their head. And I said, the reason I'm having your money is because your kids have it. They've got swooshes on their feet. They got horses on their shirts. They got this name on the back of their jeans. And, you know, your kids have got it. So you've got to decide, moms and dads, with your kids. Help them learn how to budget. How many hours does it take to earn that pair of jeans that they're wearing? How many days do you have to work to earn that pair of sneakers that they're wearing? And I said, when your kids see that, they're going to understand your financial picture a lot better because, trust me, they don't want to be homeless. They don't want to be hungry. The number one door opened in your house is not the bathroom door, the bedroom door, the front door. It's the refrigerator door. They don't want to be hungry. So help them understand. You see, when we tell our money where to go, we're being smart, we're being wise. I read a story that just made me laugh and laugh, and yet at the same time made me feel so bad. And I saved it from the Washington Post back a couple of years ago. This couple had been saving up their money to pay their parents back for loaning them the money for uh, season football seats at their, their local university. And so their parents loaned them the money so they could get it. They used the envelope method. If you're familiar with that, if you're not, just ask me later or ask Heinz or someone in here that understands that. Don and Judy understand that, Heinz and Marilyn. They were using the envelope method. Well, they had been, the mother had been letting the two-year-old son 
his name was Billy, helping her shred the junk mail. And so Billy just thought this was the greatest fun, shredding the junk mail. And he happened to go back into their little home office, and he saw another envelope on the desk, and he shredded $1,800 into the shredder. They didn't know that. The husband said, I was looking through the trash. My wife said I was, she was looking through the laundry. And finally she screamed, I found it. I found it. It's in the shredder. And of course she was crying and then she started laughing. The good news, according to the Washington Post, is, is that the U.S. men has a mutilated currency department. If you, they told them to send it back to them in a baggie and they would see what they could do. Last year they refunded, according to my research, they refunded $30 million of mutilated currency. So if your toddler shreds your money, I've helped you out. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Isn't that a great story? I mean, I don't want it to happen to me, but I'm glad to read that story happening to somebody else. Proverbs 21.5, and I want you to memorize this verse this week. Proverbs 21.5, good planning and hard work lead, say that word with me, lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Let's read this verse together. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. I'd like you to make a decision this year. Your finances are not going to be like they were last year. You're not going to drift financially. You're not going to drift stewardship-wise. You're not going to drift when it comes to your, your giving, when it comes to your saving, when it comes to your spending. You're going to be a good steward. Now, notice the word lead. It doesn't say it automatically guarantees prosperity. It says it leads. If we budget, if we tell our money where to go, if we have good accounting, if we keep a picture, if we have godly goals, if we learn not to quickly give in to impulse buying, we'll talk about that next week, and if we learn how to get our spending under control. Those are not difficult principles to memorize, but they're difficult principles for people to do because it takes a little something called discipline. Proverbs 21.20 says this, fools spend whatever they get. Fools spend what they have no plan. They neither give, but they have no plan. And so what comes in, it slips out of their hands. The third thing I'd like you to know about saving is it's not wrong to save. The Bible teaches us to save for the future. Now, some of the people that I was hanging out with when I first became a Christian as a young man, and my wife could tell you more about this probably and how it affected us, I, I, I was almost at the point thinking maybe we should take a vow of poverty. And it was only after getting good financial counseling from a financial counselor because it caused just a little bit of struggle. We never had any bouts or fights or anything about it, but I was really struggling, and I didn't want to do the wrong thing in the eyes of the Lord, but I, I didn't want to be, you know, a, a person that was just spending and living consumptively in, in life. And this financial counselor helped me to go through the Scripture and see that Jesus even taught us to save. The book of Proverbs teaches us to save. Proverbs 21.20 says, 
The wise man saves for the future. Let's say that together. The wise man saves for the future. Of course, this means the wise woman as well. So if you're a woman this morning, you say woman. Let's say it one more time. The wise man saves for the future. Are you wise this morning? Are you saving? Are you doing this? You want to keep good records. You want to, that's called budgeting. You want to have a good picture of where your money is. You want to tell your money where to go. But God is all for your saving. Now, let me say this, and I'm leading into next week's message just a little bit. God is all for your spending if you have the money. That was quiet. Thank you for that one amen. I know this is kind of in your face, but we've always been in your face at Woodland. If we talk about sex, we're in your face. When we talk about sex at Woodland, if we talk about relationships, we're in your face. Not in your face to be mean, but just to tell you, God's Word has a plan for your life, and it leads to prosperity. The wise man saves for the future. And God is for spending if you have the money. If you remember the first message I preached in this series, I says, pray about it before you pay for it. In other words, pray for it before you pay for it. Sometimes when Becky and I have prayed about a certain purchase, <laughs> we prayed about a certain purchase, and, and we've just felt checked in our spirits, not now. Sometimes we've been, no, it's just the Holy Spirit checking us. Recently this week, somebody came to me and says, Pastor, I think you ought to do this. And so I said, okay, why should I do that? They gave me all of these reasons. I said, so basically you want me to spend $60,000 for $100 savings. And they go, I hadn't really thought about it that way. <laughs> there is an easier way to save and spend your money. Can you say amen to that? So what I would say to you here is pray, save, buy. Proverbs 13, 11. Wealth from get rich, excuse me, wealth from get rich quick schemes quickly disappears, but wealth from hard work grows over time. Say that phrase with me, grows over time. Say it again, grows over time. One more time, grows over time. Now, if you're like me, you're going, I don't have a whole lot of time left in this world. <laughs> I'm looking forward to heaven. But let me tell you a story that actually affects us here in our congregation. Most of you have heard the name of Harlan Sanders. He was the founder of Kentucky Fried Chicken. You may not know that he was pretty well financially ruined and had never been successful in his life. I happen to know or knew the man, he's in heaven now, who led him to Christ and heard the story firsthand from how he came to know Jesus. In his mid-60s, he had an idea. He came to Detroit, met with one of the families from our congregation, and asked if he could demonstrate out of the trunk of his car this idea that he had that became Kentucky Fried Chicken that made him a multimillionaire. You see, hard work grows over time. You, it will cause your profits to go over time. Because Colonel Sanders did not give up in his mid-60s, he came to know Jesus in his mid-60s, had a great idea in his mid-60s, he not only made a lot of other people millionaires, but he has directly blessed this congregation through a business idea that a family in our church brought into and that has blessed our church in their giving and in their missions and in their financial support. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that this morning? 
So don't look at me and say, I'm too old or I'm too young. Trust God's Word. We always go to what the Bible says. And then fourthly this morning, return 10% to God. You say, well, Pastor, you preached on tithing last week. But this is such a key principle, I'm going to come back to it every week. Malachi 3.10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. For those of you who weren't here last week or you haven't listened to last week's message yet, People say to me sometimes, tithing was under the law. No, tithing existed hundreds of years before the law. As a matter of fact, the law made tithing about 30%, about 33 and one-third percent of your total income for the year. So we're not talking about legalism here. Jesus said that we should tithe. Bring all the tithes in the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Try God. Test God. I shared with you about a man in our church last week who said in the 60s he couldn't pay his bills. He and his wife came to the altar. They, they dedicated their life to the Lord. They dedicated themselves to the principle of tithing. And this week I was able to have lunch with him and some members of his family and heard the story all over again of how God has richly blessed their family and they never missed a meal. They never missed a bill. They were able to save and build a secure future for their family financially. Hear me in this. You cannot outgive God. And if you trust him with your tithe, God says he will pour out a blessing on you so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Again, I'm not saying that all of a sudden God's going to rain down luxury cars and luxury homes on you, but Becky and I can tell you, there are many others in this congregation that can tell you, we have received the true riches of heaven, things that money cannot buy, God has done in our lives. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that this morning? I won't take time to read the verse again that Jesus said about tithing, but Paul said on the first day of each week, that's today, you should put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Proverbs 3, verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth, the best part of everything you produce, then he, then. See, this is a conditional promise. There are unconditional promises we talked about last year. There are conditional promises. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. The Bible uses an interesting illustration about an ant when it comes to saving. The ant stores up during the time of harvest, so it has enough for the winter. I think if you follow these four principles, you can expect, listen, if you follow these four principles, you can expect the supernatural hand of God to go to work in your life, no matter what the economy, no matter what the politics. We've seen this when we worked in Argentina. We've seen this when we worked in Belgium. In Belgium, those that give and tithe to the church don't get a tax credit for it like we do here in the United States. As a matter of fact, it's discouraged, and yet we watched Belgian Christians for five years as we worked in Belgium seeing what God did and prospered in their lives. I watched people in Argentina, Chilean refugees, move out of pasteboard boxes, build homes with running water and working toilets and have food and get jobs. And you don't understand how, how that is unless you go back to our Jim Crow era of the United States because Argentines hated and looked down upon the Chileans. And that's why there's a continual border war between those two nations. I'm telling you, you can expect the hand of God to go to work in your finances if you put these four principles to work. 
There's biblical wisdom in saving. Now, this is where I want to wrap this up. And honey, if you'll come on up to the keyboard. When I'm 75, when I'm 85, I'm 67. And this is really becoming real because this last year and even this month, Becky and I have seen too many of our friends in their 60s and their 50s die. I just had a really close friend just last week go to heaven. And I was talking with another friend of mine this week after a missions board meeting I had to be in working with missionaries. His health has just failed him. His wife's health is suffering. But it doesn't change these principles. Because the prayer I pray today each and every single day of my life, the Lord's Prayer, Part of that prayer is give us this day our daily bread. Say that with me. Give us this day our daily bread. And no matter how much you've saved or how much I've saved, when I'm 85 years old, if the Lord allows me to live that long, I'm still going to be praying that prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. I'm going to be resting in God's care. I've seen economies change overnight. I've had upwards of 70 college students overseas when the economy collapsed overnight, and had we not prepaid everything, you just have no idea what it would have been like. Give us this day our daily bread. Saving is not the goal. Becky and I have talked about this even as we're preparing for our encore three years from now we're not wanting to try to build a personal utopia on this earth playing golf and visiting exotic places around the world we want to use what God has blessed us and entrusted us with for the furtherance of his kingdom remember Bernice that stood on this platform that she and her husband are missionaries in Guatemala she received her first cup of milk she got her first drink of clean uncontaminated water she grew up in Latin America child care that we helped provide for and support in this church and because she did so well in school somebody provided a full ride to her to come to Evangel University in Springfield Missouri and there she met her husband from Ohio that's the only bad thing against him he was from Ohio and I'm sorry I couldn't resist that he, he was from Ohio, and they became missionaries and went back to Guatemala together. Recently, when my brother-in-law's funeral, great pastor, wonderful man of God, he and I were roommates in college. I met a young man at, at his home. This young man, that they immigrated to the United States from the islands. Hadn't been here long before his father was held up and murdered, doing just a menial job in a convenience store, trying to make a living for his family. They lived in a very violent, dangerous housing project in Jacksonville. And their, their church had a ministry of working with kids and feeding kids and going up and showing up every week 
He came to church and gradually became friends with my brother-in-law. And Gary and Kim just kind of took him under his arms and as he told me the story, he said, Gary was my dad. When my dad was murdered, Gary stepped in. He was my dad. And I watched with joy and pride as he was one of the pallbearers with my nephews as they carried my brother-in-law's body to the grave. The goal of saving is not to build a storehouse here on this earth full of a million dollars or millions of dollars. The goal of a savings is how can we make a kingdom impact? How can we leave something for our family? We want to be frugal. We want to be wise stewards. We want to be sure the basic needs are taken care of. We want to be sure there's food on the table and there's shelter over our heads like we talked about with our teenagers a while ago. But we want to bank in heaven where moth and rust does not corrupt. Yesterday, somebody called me and says, Pastor, I need you to pray. They were all panicked. I says, why? said, I just, just checked my stock portfolio. I haven't checked in a while. Pastor, I've lost 40% of everything. I said, calm down. It'll come back. It's an old fifth dimension song. When it comes to investing, what goes up must come down. Spinning wheel goes around. It'll come back. Don't panic. Trust God. But pray the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our day, our daily prayer. And if you're young, don't wait till you're my age to begin investing in ministry. If you're a parent, don't neglect teaching your children. I'm so glad that our parents taught us to take those little tithing envelopes and put a dime, then a dollar, and then learn how to tithe. One of the businessmen of our church said to me, he says, Pastor, that was the greatest gift your parents could have ever given you. It was a great gift, but it was not the greatest gift. The greatest gift our parents gave us was they modeled these principles in their lives. So live this out. Teach your children. And I'll close with this. In the early church, in Acts chapter 4, in the context of giving, the Bible says this in Acts chapter 4 and verse 33, abundant grace was upon them all. Say that with me. Abundant grace was upon them all. And you know what happened? The Bible says that daily people were coming to know the Lord. The Bible says that daily signs and wonders were taking place because they were generous. To save means that you have the opportunity to be generous. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to ask those of you that are listening or those of you here on the campus that maybe you've never given your heart to Jesus today, you give your heart to Jesus. I'm going to ask for abundant grace upon us. I've been listening to Christmas music all week, I confess. I just can't let go. I love Christmas music. 
But you remember when Scrooge learned to give, the story goes, according to Dr. Seuss, his heart became three times as large. Do you remember, not Scrooge, but the Grinch, but you remember when Scrooge, I saw Paul look at me like, that's not quite right. Paul's always a good check on my spirit and other things. But you remember then Scrooge, after that dream, he's happy and he throws open the windows and suddenly a street kid, such a lovely boy, such a good boy, such a smart boy, something happens to you when you become generous. Your heart becomes larger. Your eyes become brighter. And it's because abundant grace rests upon you. Father, in the name of Jesus this morning, before we bring our tithes and our offerings, we ask you to help us take these four simple principles, Lord, and walk them out. If we need help, Lord, remind folks, there's help right here at the church. Secondly, Lord, I, I would be remiss if I preached this message without inviting people to receive the greatest gift ever given, your most generous gift, your most gracious gift, Christ's goodness, Christ's righteousness, Christ's blood to wash away our sins. So I pray that right now that there will be people here that will pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving Jesus Christ to save me, to give me a fresh start in life and to transform my life. I don't understand it all, but as much as I know how, I commit my life to you today. In Jesus' name. Now, Lord, as we celebrate your love and your goodness and your kindness to us, as we give in this offering, I pray that you would bless your people. Make your face shine upon them. Let your smile be upon everything they do. May their children rise up and call them blessed. And when they arrive in the kingdom of heaven, May they see, O oh Lord, how their investments in heaven have grown and multiplied. I meet the Bernices. I meet the Jackies, Lord, that call Gary Daddy. Lord, I pray all of this in your holy name. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You can be seated as you give this morning.